News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Third hour underway, Pete Callender Show. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me be a part of your day. Whatever, whenever that is, if you're on the podcast and you're listening on the podcast, do you need some motivation? I can give you like some words of inspiration if you're like on the elliptical or something. Like, you can do it. Keep going. This is for you. I don't know how that works. Is that how that works? Anyway, you can get the podcast, by the way. Go to WBT.com, and it comes right to your smartphone or tablet every single day. So uh, Pat McCrory compared his not getting a job at Duke University to 1960s segregation, which he did not. I, you, got, you actually just read the article, and it's clear he is not comparing segregation of the 60s to him not getting a job at Duke University. But the headline at CNN serves its purpose. The Democratic Party is able to then send out fundraising emails based on it uh, with, of course, the obligatory links to the article. So CNN benefits from the uh, from the clicks, getting those sweet, sweet web hits. And uh, now today, the North Carolina Democratic Party chairman or chairwoman, Bobby Richardson, she released a statement saying, quote, North Carolinians have come to expect this type of ignorant, self-important rhetoric from Pat McCrory, and it's exactly why they voted him out in 2016. As an alumna of the then still segregated Perry High School, it is clear to me that Mr. McCrory has a lot to learn about what the brave students who participated in the Woolworth sit-in endured. I assure him that his experiences have nothing in common with those heroes. He's talking about being blacklisted. He's talking about being prevented from doing something by some other group of people. That's the comparison. Now, the reason for the blacklisting is different, but he doesn't say they're the same. He said, well, he says, actually, he doesn't say, like, it's based on race. He doesn't say that. He doesn't make that argument. He's saying it's political. The, that his his uh, the reason why they banned him was because he's uh, because of politics, and by the way, they approached him apparently according to the story. So I'll just read from the CNN story. McCrory now running for uh, U.S. Senate um, after his uh, defeat in the uh, 2016 election. I love this. Took a job as a local radio host. By the way, nowhere in the article do they mention WBT, because of course not, right? Because of course not. It's always a local host, a local radio station. These guys never, never cite the source, never give the call letters. That's how petty people are in media. I've said it before. They really are. People in media are like the most petty, aside from Hollywood, the most petty. They really are. So... Uh, in fact, there was a uh, this, this same thing. I, I have I've been in radio now 20 years uh, there. The examples of this are too numerous to list. I'll give you just two real quick. Number one was the Charlotte Observer. For years, they refused to put the WBT name on the Sky Show. The WBT Sky Show fireworks show every single year paid for out of pocket by BT put on by BT. I along with all the other staffers, we would go out and like and work the event. 
like literally work the event, like in the booths and the tables and clearing people from the fallout zones and stuff from the fireworks displays. Like it was our event and they never called it the WBT Sky Show to the point where when BT finally said we're not doing the Sky Show because all of the the uh, the riots uh, because they didn't staff uh, CMPD didn't send enough cops and stuff. The city council didn't send enough cops and uh, nobody apparently treated this and all of a sudden uh, like a big event and then all of a sudden all these people show up and they start fighting in the streets and then it becomes the wbt sky show (laughs) then the observer recognizes that it oh yeah wait a minute there's a radio station attached to that boom throw our name on it one example another example there was a radio station i worked at guy uh, this was the story told to me i was not there at the time but a guy who worked there is like like a once a month part-time dude doing sports or something and um, the guy got arrested for being a bookie or something, gambling. I don't even remember. I wasn't there. This is the story that was told to me afterwards. And, of course, local paper runs a story, finally identifying the radio station. You know, popular radio host. Then they put the call letters on the front page. I mean, of the local section. And then, my favorite, we organized a big uh, uh, charity event, big poster signing event out in Asheville. When the soldiers, uh, the recruiting station got attacked by the radical Islamists and we wrote, uh, you know, had people come down, sign a big poster board. And we ended up having to, like, get all of these poster boards and stuff. And then we sent them to the uh, to the Chattanooga folks uh, just to let them know that, you know, we're thinking about it and we support them. Huge turnout. Local TV station comes over and does a big report on it. This is a partner of ours, does the report and refers to us as a local radio station. To the point where <laughs> I had a listener draw up business cards and give them to me. Pete Callender, a local radio host at a local radio station. This is par for the course. This is <laughs> now. I try to always give you the. I always give you the publications when I read from them, and I try to give you even the reporter names. So, anyway, uh, the head of the policy school, this is what Pat McCrory said on the radio show, quote, the head of the policy school called me up and said, Governor, we've got some problems. We've got some alumni and big donors that don't want you to come back to Duke to be a part of this public policy school. Again, Pat McCrory might know a thing or two about public policy. Whether or not you agree with them, because I know this is going to be so crazy, but let me just spitball here just for a minute. Is it possible that a student at a university might attend a class that is offered by a professor or a lecturer or whatever, somebody at the front of the classroom, that they don't dis- that they don't agree with them on. Is it possible? Is it possible that you could actually be forced to attend a class with a professor that you don't like? Right now, every single conservative that went to college is like, yeah, that's us. Yeah, that, yeah, had lots of those. Like this idea, because it's only on the left that you have to be protected from a professor or a guest lecturer that you don't agree with. This is par for the course for conservatives. Conservatives, they could barely even invite somebody to to speak one time on campus, let alone get a class. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not the softest shoulder to cry on on these things. So McCrory, after his uh, defeat as governor, he's talking with Duke University about it, about this, you know, coming up there, doing some, uh, some uh, classes or whatever on public policy. In the Duke University Sanford School of Public Policy, which again seems like it might be 
it's kind of a match there, right? Guy was a former mayor, longest serving mayor in Charlotte history. Guy was a governor, knows some stuff about public policy. Maybe he could hold forth. He could fill the time. Anybody who listened to the show on BT knows he could definitely fill the time. So why not ex- you know, why not expose the student body to all right, that doesn't sound good. Why not let him hang out with some students and you know just let I mean because they're gonna be able to ask him questions and let the chips fall where they may. He's taking live uh, phone calls. <laughs> he can handle the students. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so he says, well, what happens if I if I come back to the campus, will you serve me at the lunch counter? And so this has now got the left in you know full apoplectic faux rage uh faux outrage you know they're 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 performing their theatrical hysterics here to let everybody know that i think you're a racist that's widespread panic news talk 1110 and 99.3 wbt cnn with the story about how pat mccrory apparently thinks he's just like a you know civil rights icon sitting at a lunch counter to fight segregation that's the tone. That's the implication here. Uh, and, of course, uh, that is a, a gross oversimplification of what he said. But it's media. It's CNN and particularly Andrew Kaczynski. And so nuance is not exactly in their wheelhouse, particularly when trying to parse the words of a Republican. So here is what McCrory said on a radio show on BT in January 2021. He said the head of the policy school at Duke University uh, called me up and said, Governor, we got some problems. We got some alumni and big donors that don't want you to come back to Duke to be a part of this public policy school. That is a key part of the story. Okay, key part that is essential, because what does it indicate that the Duke people are talking to McCrory? They're having a conversation and it seems like the Duke people are like, yeah, sure. Former governor, former mayor of Charlotte, yes, come on down to the Sanford School of Public Policy and, you know, talk to the young skulls of mush, right? But then what happens? We have some problems, they say. We have some alumni and big donors that don't want you to come to Duke. Well, what does that mean? That's a pressure campaign, right? That's people saying, we don't like him, don't you dare do it. Don't let him on campus. That's censorship, right? And I understand it's not government censorship, but it is a form of censorship. And uh, McCrory then responds, so what, if I come back to the campus, will you serve me at the lunch counter? Because that is also a form of, of censorship, right? Like you have people that were like, you can't do this. We don't like you for fill in the blank reason. And so don't you dare allow that person to come in. Because honestly, for the alumni and the people who are like, don't you dare let McQuarrie come and do this gig, would they have let him back on campus? What what do you think their opinions would be about letting him even step foot on campus? Might this be like a trigger warning event, right? Oh my gosh, you know, the the children, they couldn't handle this literal violence against them by Pat McCrory walking across the quad, you know? (laughs) Speaking about, so he, so McCrory says this to the Duke guy, and then he goes on, on the radio show, he goes on to say, speaking about the ultimate blacklisting. See, so he recognizes right there that there is this ultimate level of egregiousness, and it is 
African-American students from the North Carolina A&T University who wanted to eat at the counter at Woolworth's, and they were refused. So he says, this is the worst example. This is the most egregious example is right there. They got blacklisted because the color of their skin. Other people are now being blacklisted because of our politics. See, it's, it's not the same. It is a form, like the tactic is the same, but it's different for different reasons. I know this is nuance. This is, what does the left always like to say? Shades of gray, right? This is a shade of gray. He says they're both wrong. Other people are now being blacklisted because of politics. They're both wrong, both deplorable. We've got to speak out against it, he said. Earlier in the segment, in which McCrory and his guests spoke about conservatives and alumni from the orbit of former President Donald Trump being blacklisted. Oh, wait a minute. So there was a larger discussion going on about people being blacklisted? Yeah, because this would have been in 2016. And remember what was happening? People in the Trump administration, although this occurred uh, obviously in uh, 2021, but people in the Trump administration were being shouted at and chased out of restaurants. Remember, I'm old enough to remember these days and, uh, you know, get in their faces at the gasoline stations. Remember that? And then in 2021, when McCrory's having the conversation, you got people who were formerly of the administration. They're being blacklisted for politics because they don't. And I'm not saying that. Government needs to intervene here for all you people that knee jerk reaction like, oh, so government needs to do like you're talking to a lowercase L libertarian here. I'm not advocating GovCo get involved. Cool your jets. But I am pointing out like you're not a good person. <laughs> right. If like if if you want people to be shunned and shut out of society because you don't agree with them on policy prescriptions, then, yeah, you're not a really good person. I'm sorry. Like that's. That, I mean, but that's that's kind of the, the deal there. Um, this is, by the way, the Terry Sanford Public Policy School, which is where a fellow by the name of Mac McCorkle and woman by the name of Rachel Salzberg. Sorry, I don't mean to assume their genders there. Uh, so two individuals, two human beings uh, that are affiliated with the school. She's a graduate, 2020, the master's program there. She's a data associate with the Made to Save campaign. And Mac McCorkle, he's a professor. See, he gets a gig. He's a professor at Duke University, Sanford School of Public Policy. He is a former Democratic political consultant. See, so if you're a Democratic political consultant who ran campaigns, you get a spot. But if you're a Republican former governor, seven-term Charlotte mayor, you don't. That's the standard. You know why? Because some donors don't like Pat McCrory. Gee, do you think some donors might not like Mac McCorkle and Democratic consultants? Do you think that, I don't know, their opinions carry the same kind of sway? I don't know. You saw what happened at UNC when one donor to the journalism school voiced his concern about hiring the fabulist, the 1619 Project. And every day she's on Twitter proving that UNC dodged a bullet by her going to a different school. Um and the, I mean, the apoplexy that the left had over that, and yet, here we go, here's a story. Nobody cares. Well, that's Duke University, so who cares, I guess? Private college, right? So nobody cares. But the standard, see, the standard is inconsistent. But Mac McCorkle and Rachel Salzberg, they had a piece at uh, ncpolitics.com I'm going to go into in a minute, because there is a connection here with the Pat McCrory story. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. So Pat McCrory... 
He's not allowed to go to Duke University and teach students about public policy at the Duke University Sanford School of Public Policy. Um, he's not allowed to do that. And when uh, the university said he can't do that because some donors complained, he said, yeah, I'm being blacklisted. And uh, by the way, if I show up, uh, you, you know, you're going to serve me at the lunch counter. And now, you know, everyone's supposed to be outraged about this. Spoiler alert, nobody's actually outraged, but they think it'll uh, it'll it'll carry some purchase among the base. Now, somebody who is allowed to teach at the Duke University Sanford School is Mac McCorkle, Democratic consultant. And uh, he's been there a while, along with Rachel Salzberg. She's a graduate of the program. And uh, now they put out a, a piece at uh, Politics NC, but it's actually a larger, there was a, a research paper or something, because now I see it's also made its way into uh, WRAL's website by Brian Anderson. Uh, he did a big write-up on this. They've identified these two Duke University researchers have identified 28 North Carolina counties crucial to Trump's victories, areas that could present challenges for Democratic candidates in future elections. See, that's the way Brian cleans that up for general consumption, to make it sound newsy. When in fact, what the piece is, this is an advice column for Democrats. That's the way this thing was written. But the way WRAL dresses it up for the audience is some Duke University researchers have identified some communities that could present challenges. Yes, so how about you find a way to overcome those challenges? And that's what the point of the article actually is. By Mac McCorkle and Rachel Salzberg. Brian Anderson at WRAL, formerly of the AP, his write-up goes a different direction. Here's what McCorkle and Salzburg said. The 2022 election year looks to be a challenging one for North Carolina Democrats. A major part of that challenge stems from what we call their countrypolitan problem. So country, but metropolitan. Think of this in terms of blue dot, sea of red, right? Charlotte and everywhere around it. Raleigh, everywhere around it. Asheville, everywhere around it. Right. The country politan they're talking about is the everywhere around it. It's the Red Sea. OK, it's not the blue dot in the sea of red. OK, that's what they're talking about. Country politan voters. Democratic presidential candidates have now lost North Carolina in 10 out of the last 11 elections. Moreover, Democratic candidates have won only one U.S. Senate race in the last 20 years and two in the last 30, which is obviously due to gerrymandering. That's what <laughs> that is not due to gerrymandering. These are statewide elections. Statewide elections, Democrats haven't won in a long time. Aside from governor, at the national level, they don't win. They go, McCorkle and Salzburg say it's high time for North Carolina Democrats to confront their underdog status in statewide federal races. They need to reject any complaint. See, this is advice column. This is what they're telling Democrats, because they are Democrats. They're like, this is what you need to do in order to win. But when it goes to WRAL, it turns into, well, there's a study that says that there are some challenges. They need to reject any complacent belief that their to-you strategy, their to-you base is going to guarantee victory. What is the 2U strategy? What's a 2U base? What is that? It's the number 2 and the letter U. 2U. 
U stands for urban and university. Urban areas and university towns. That's the strategy. Democrats have employed this strategy, and it works very well if you're in one of the U's. But if you ain't in a U, well, you're not in the U. Sorry. Uh, based on our, you know, I get, I mean, it's chances are not as great you're going to get a Democrat representative. Based on our analysis of the 2020 presidential election in North Carolina, we see 28 hybrid countrypolitan counties across the state as needing special attention from Democrats. See, again, this is an overt, explicit call for Democrats to focus on these counties. We define North Carolina's countrypolitan counties as the outlying ones in larger metro areas, metropolitan statistical areas, or MSAs. These outlying counties qualify as metropolitan, according to the Federal Office of Management and Budget, due to significant job commuting ties with the big city counties. Perfect example for this is Union County and the Charlotte Metro, right? So heads up, Union County, as well as Gastonia, Gaston County, areas that got redder and redder and redder. I actually did stories on this 20 years ago of all of the people, the Republicans leaving Charlotte and Democrats coming in. Charlotte getting bluer, the surrounding areas flipping to Republican and getting redder. It has only continued and it is all across America. It's not just North Carolina. This has been the trend. We are self-sorting, right? This has been the trend. So make no mistake, folks in Union County... Folks in Gaston County, the explicit strategy now for the Democratic Party is they're coming to take your town. (laughs) That's the plan, uh, politically speaking. right? They're coming to run candidates in your town to take over your towns and to get voter turnout in your towns to launch operations because they've already secured their big city wins. So now they're going to start expanding their area of influence. Almost all countrypolitan counties were heavily red in 2020, although largely next door to the state's bigger city Democratic bastions. Countrypolitan counties constituted a stronger base of Trump support than the state's 50 counties that are outside of these metro regions. In other words, the more rural areas. Trump's countrypolitan strength neutralized and even overwhelmed Joe Biden's big city leads in major metro areas. But here's the key, and this is the connection to the Pat McCrory story, and I'm going to get into this uh, after the break. The distinctive political element in most countrypolitan counties is their overall whiteness. Their distinctive political element is their whiteness. That is the distinctive political element. Why is that connected to the McCrory story? News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT got a message here from Tim talking about the 2U strategy. That is in the rural counties. It's exactly what's uh, going on in organizations like Down Home NC out in Western North Carolina, although they did just fire all of their Western North Carolina staff, and they're focusing on counties like Alamance, fake grassroots stuff funded by dark money to their 501c4. Um, And, yeah, so this is the... The piece by Mac McCorkle and Rachel Salzberg from Duke University, writing about how Democrats have a countrypolitan problem. Essentially, areas around big cities that are still part of the metropolitan area, but the areas vote for Republicans, but they're also tied to that MSA, the big city MSA. And so what the what these two Duke people are saying is you need to go out and 
and talk to the people and recruit candidates and and take over in these counties that are surrounding the blue cities. That's where you need to go. But in this piece, they say the distinctive political element in the most countrypolitan counties is their overall whiteness. They call this a political element. Whiteness as a political element. I'm sorry, am I supposed to be offended at this? I'm not sure. Do you get it? Like, is this like, hit the fainting couch, you know, monocle into the martini glass? Oh my gosh, can't believe it kind of, like, offense I'm supposed to take at this? I don't know. But they're calling whiteness a distinctive political element. Pat McCrory, on the radio show, when he was talking about how he got blacklisted from Duke University, the very place these two Democrats work... Right. The very place. Well, one works and one graduate. I don't know if the other one is actually affiliated still with the Sanford School, but the other one is a professor of the practice at Duke University Sanford School. They are saying whiteness is a distinctive political element in these red counties. Pat McCrory said the ultimate blacklisting, the ultimate blacklisting was African-American students from North Carolina A&T who wanted to eat at the lunch counter at Woolworths. He's not saying that that's what happened to him. Because it's the that would be the ultimate example, he said. But he was prohibited from being affiliated, even though they weren't even going to pay him to do the job. He was just going to go and do a guest lecturing thing at the school. And leftists said, don't you dare let McCory on campus. And he said he got blacklisted, too, for political reasons. Ah, political reasons. Again, back to Mac McCorkle. Whiteness as a distinctive political element. So, race can be political? Interesting. Tell me again why I'm supposed to be outraged to what McCory said. Let me go back to the McCorkle piece, though, because there is some uh, last little bit of info from it. The lack of countrypolitan diversity may preclude Democratic flipping of these red counties anytime soon. Well, why, why would that be the case? Why would white people not be interested in voting for Democrats? If the idea here is that white people don't like Democrats because racism, why not just run white Democrat candidates? If it's about being white, why not just do that? Or is there something about the political ideology or philosophy? I tell you what, I might be able to teach something at the Duke University Sanford School of Public Policy. Seriously. Like, I'm just a guy with a couple of... uh, uh, printouts here from two websites and i have shot holes all in this stupidity and i'm just like kind of curious what are these people how much does a duke university uh diploma cost nowadays i mean i recognize it's mainly a credentialing service now but what are those what do those credentials run you now now I, i will agree they say something here that's very important losing by a more respectable margin is an essential step and that's really what they hope to do that's really what the deal is you got to lose by less they 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 are not under any kind of illusion or delusion that uh, they're going to be able to win these counties but if you can just get more votes then you can win at the state and federal level that's what they're angling for. Because remember, they were start. They started off talking about how Democrats can't win in the presidential races. They can't win in um, the U.S. Senate races. Just historically, they haven't done very well. So, how do you change that? And the answer is, you have to 
you got to get better performance in these country politan areas in these zones that are close to the city in other words the media markets by the way right so you can run a lot of ads you can yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can do, so you get that kind of saturation coming from the city. But also the people that are in those areas, they have connections to that city. A lot of them moved from that city. And they were like, this place has gone so left wing, I'm out of here. So th- maybe you can reach some of them. Or, or maybe Democrats have done such terrible job, uh, done such a terrible job in governing those cities. They've driven a lot of Democrats out. Right, because they can't afford it anymore. So they have now landed in those countrypolitan areas. So now Democrats are like, hey, I know we totally ruined your last place, but trust us this time, we won't ruin this one. So maybe that's the pitch going on here. But the idea here is to lose by less. And by the way, uh, this is the same strategy Republicans are employing in the urban areas, in the cities, right? You got to lose by less. You're not, I mean, look, you're not going to ever have a Republican city council in Charlotte. It's just not going to happen. People, look, I learned a long time ago. You know what it was? It was the, uh, it was the trial of Jim Black, uh, the former Speaker of the House. Uh, and uh, he was on trial, and he was uh, just, just, you know, swallowed up by scandal and all this. He eventually went to prison. Uh, but he won re-election. He was running against a guy, a Republican ran against him named Hal Jordan. And Jordan lost, barely lost in that district. It was a state house district. Barely lost to Jim Black. And what it said, and I'll never forget Hal Jordan saying it on election night, he said, uh, it tells me that they would rather have a corrupt Democrat than a Republican. And it's true. That's what they chose. The, the voters of that district, the Democratic voters, preferred a, uh, a corrupt Democrat in Jim Black. They preferred him rather than a Republican. So, yeah. Uh, you're never going to have that kind of uh, you're never going to have that kind of uh, representation on the Charlotte City Council. It's just not going to happen, or Asheville, or Raleigh, or whatever. But you need to turn out a lot more voters in Mecklenburg County and in Charlotte because there are still a lot of Republican voters. You're just not going to ever win. Thank you, redistricting uh, Democrats. But you're not going to win a majority. You're lucky if they let you keep any voice on an elected body at this point. I've been in Asheville where they just don't even allow a Republican to ever win. So the um, because they don't even want to hear a Republican's voice in a city council setting. So, you know, you're not going to get a bo- you're not going to get a majority. You may be lucky if you get one uh, member on the body, but you got to turn out. That's what their advice is. Lose less in more strongly red countrypolitan counties is what they advise. Democrats need to strengthen their pockets of support in local outposts. Such bluish outposts have or recently have had mayors who are registered Democrats or Democratic City Council majorities or even both, like Union and Gaston counties. Union County seat of Monroe is the ancestral home of Jesse Helms. As of 2020, however, a registered Democrat was mayor and has been in office for 16 years. The county seat. Well, this is what I've said, too. Democrats can win in these areas. They just have to be not crazy. That's it. Just don't be insane. And you guys could actually win a lot more seats. Maybe. I, yeah. See, when I say it like that, that's probably why I would never get the teaching gig either. Man, you're probably right. All right, that's a wrap for the show. Appreciate you hanging out. Brett Winterbull coming up next. Stay tuned for that on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. I'll talk with you on Monday. Don't break anything while I'm gone.
Thank <laughs> you.